Well, with our hearts full of delight, let's go into the Word of God. Matthew chapter 5, we're continuing through our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, considering how the Lord Jesus is calling us to live up. He's calling us to live a radically different life than the life we had before, a radically different life than the life we see lived all around us in the culture. We're going to be picking up in verse 9, but how about we get a running start into that? Let's begin at the Beatitudes, beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now our text for today, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We read those words and we say, how beautiful, how powerful, but also how sobering are these words. Now, as we meditate on these verses, let's remember that we can't approach these like a buffet. We can't look at the Beatitudes and say, well, you know, I'm interested in part of that. I'd like to have a pure heart, but I'm not so sure I want to be a part of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I'm not so sure I want to be gentle and meek on the earth. We don't get to do that. This is a complete set. They're intricately connected to one another. They build upon one another. And so as we search our hearts, we would say to God, Lord, make this true of me. I want all of these descriptors, how you describe your people, your kingdom values. I want all of those things to describe my heart, my mind, and my life. So Jesus is calling us to himself that we might be, as he calls it, blessed. We're called to follow him and to be transformed into a whole new approach to life. And we see it in the Beatitudes, and we're going to see it in the weeks to follow as we walk through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So we zero now in to verse 9 and following here, where the Lord says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now that is a call that follows everything else that he's just said. We're the people who have come to Jesus, and we've received forgiveness for our sins. We've been reconciled to God. We saw our sin, our spiritual poverty, we mourned over it, and we ran to Jesus for cleansing and a new life. In fact, he gave us a new heart here. We've seen it described as being pure in heart. We have a new passion now. We are hungering and thirsting for the things of God now, which we didn't do in the past. We have a new humility. We've surrendered ourselves to Christ. We can now be gentle. The Lord is the one fighting for us, and we have a new purpose. And he calls it here your new purpose is to be a peacemaker. Now remember, God is the ultimate peacemaker. Multiple times in the scripture, God is described as the God of peace. Just one example, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the ultimate peacemaker. Peace is at the heart of of God. There's complete love and harmony 
within our triune God, between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's what's thrilling. God then extends that peace toward us. God extends his peace toward us. Remember this, that God is the one who initiated your reconciliation to him. It wasn't us who thought, you know, I need to get on good terms with God. It was God first coming toward us, seeing us in our sin. He still loved us and came. Jesus left heaven, lived a perfect life to give his life on a cross, to make atonement for our sins, to reconcile us to God. And those who have been reconciled, we get to experience the peace of God in our lives. What we could call inner peace. So I'm no longer an enemy of God. I have peace with God. But now I have the peace of God. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, here it is, peace. Even the Bible describe, describes it as a peace that passes understanding. So we have been given peace, and now we see we've been given an assignment. We are to be peacemakers. On this earth, there's a role for us. Jesus said, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. So we say, how do I do that? What is Jesus expecting of me? Well, first of all, this calls us to proclaim the good news. This gospel, which is described as the gospel of peace, that's our assignment. Listen to how Paul described it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and following. Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, now follow along. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we're called to be peacemakers. Paul said here, we're ambassadors for Christ. We get to carry God's merciful terms of reconciliation to a world that's been hostile to God. God is extending an offer of peace, and we carry that message. This is amazing grace, isn't it? That God, who's been offended by the sin of a whole world, would mercifully extend peace. So rather than the condemnation that all in the world deserve, God says, I have established a way that you could have peace with me and you could have my peace even within you after trusting in me. So this is our message and this is our ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry on the earth as peacemakers. And so let me ask you, what part are you playing on the earth as a peacemaker? Let's talk about in evangelism. Do you know that that's a key responsibility you have on the earth as you await the Lord's return? Do you know that God expects you to share the gospel, the good news, the gospel of peace on the earth. If you and I don't share it, who is going to share this good news of how, how people can be reconciled, brought to peace with God? And then how about missions? Do you know you have a role in international missions? Missions is when you cross a culture with the gospel. All of us to be sharing the faith among the people we know all in our lives here, but some are called to go to other cultures, learn a language, learn another culture in order to share the same gospel message. And we all have a role in that. We're to be praying for missionaries. It should be a regular part of your prayer life. We should be giving toward missions. We should be encouraging the missionaries that we know, and we should go and serve alongside them. In fact, God might be calling one of you today. You've been wondering about it. I wonder if God one day might call me to missions and he'll begin to stir in your heart a burning, a sense of oughtness that I should go myself. And so we would love to help you with that as you explore, is that God's will for you? But here Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And yes, that involves proclaiming the good news, but it also would mean this, 
to be a peacemaker in the relationships in your life? How about this question? Are you the kind of person that brings peace with you when you enter into a room? Would others describe you that way? Are you the type of person that enjoys stirring things up or calming things down? When there's a conflict, are you the type of person that brings cold water to the fire or do you throw gasoline on the fire? Here Jesus is blessed are the peacemakers. And the root of this word here, peace, means wholeness and harmony. And there's a compound word here. So a peacemaker is somebody who is working for peace. It's a person who is a peace-loving person who wants to bring about peace between two people. Now, it's not a pacifist. This isn't the idea that we're just going to have peace at any cost. Have you ever heard those appeals to peace? And you think, I just, I don't know, I want peace, but I can't have peace on those terms. So sometimes we'll hear a politician and this politician will say something like, we're just trying to bring people together. We just want to unify people together. But yet their policies could be ghastly and evil and horrible. Think, I would like to have peace, but I can't get on board with your ungodly, unbiblical agenda. So your, your desire for peace is empty. I like how Paul described it in Romans 12, 18. He said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So we're to have a disposition, an inclination, a desire for peace, but it's not all dependent upon us, but we are to be peacemakers. We're working for it on the earth. Now, everything in the Beatitudes, if that's true of us, it should make us more peace-loving people. Think about it with me for a second as we just think about how all these Beatitudes, they link together. So if you are one who has mourned over your sin, you've come to Jesus, you've surrendered your life, now there's a new meekness, a gentleness to your life. That's going to make you less demanding of other people if you have this type of gentleness Jesus calls for here. You're not going to be pushing for your way, your preferences over and over again. You're going to be more able to get along with other people. As a person who's mourned over your sin and you've run to Jesus and you've experienced his grace, you're going to be less critical of other people because you're going to be always mindful, oh, I've been forgiven so many millions and millions of sins. You're going to be less likely to be a condemning person toward other people when you're constantly aware of how much you've been forgiven in your life. And so you and I can have these harmonious relationships better than anybody else. So in this chaotic world where there's rioting and violent crime and there are racial issues, we're to be peacemakers on the earth. In fact, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ have experienced how God can take sinners from all different backgrounds, all different races, and bring us together to be one in Christ. A deep, deep bond, oftentimes closer than even our blood relatives, this bond we have in Christ, no matter your race, your ethnic background, your country of origin, no matter your socioeconomic level, through Jesus we become one. You and I have the message of peace for the world. And and notice the promise here. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. You're going to be one who carries the marks of your Father in heaven, who is the ultimate peacemaker. Our God is great in this. And he calls us to this great task of being a peacemaker. Secondly, we come to this one. And this one is sobering. Verse 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And wouldn't you agree, this is upside down thinking. If we're talking about what would make me happy, if we were to draw up the list, I, I wouldn't include persecution on that. And to be sure, the idea is not that persecution is fun. It's not that persecution is something we should pursue. But Jesus is just telling you the blessed life will include persecution. 
as you follow Christ, you've submitted yourself to him, as you hunger and thirst for righteousness, this is going to put you at odds with a world that loves unrighteousness, and you're going to experience persecution, and nevertheless, you are blessed. 1 Peter 3.14, Peter said the same thing, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Now, not all suffering is persecution. You know, you could lose a job not because you're a Christian, but just because you were not a good employee. Maybe you were lazy. Maybe you were cantankerous. You're difficult to get along with, and you could lose a job for that. And you can't just automatically claim, well, that's because I'm a Christian. Or you could lose friends. And, and it could be for Christ, but examine first. It could be because maybe you come across arrogant or condescending, and people just don't want to hang around you. So don't be quick to say, that was persecution. Could be, but it could be something that we're doing. Likewise, not everything that happens in the culture is persecution. For instance, when we were building our buildings here, we had to abide by uh, building codes. And as we went through that process, we did not feel that we were being persecuted by having to follow building codes because of the same codes that other businesses and organizations have to follow. Now, had they singled us out for onerous laws just targeting us, we might have felt, all right, now that's persecution. But if we're just having to follow the rules that all the other buildings have to do, then that made sense. It's not persecution. Likewise, we're wearing these masks that 100% that of us don't enjoy wearing. But is that persecution? Not, not here. I don't know. I can't speak for the rest of the country, but I can speak for here. Our experience is, no, it seems to be when I go to Walmart, they're making me wear one there. When I go to the doctor's office, they make me wear one there. And so they're being very consistent. May not like it. We may have differences of opinion on that. doesn't really matter. We're wearing them. It's a small inconvenience. In fact, if this were the extent of persecution, I'd take it. <laughs> there are believers all over the world that wearing a mask, that's going to be the persecution. Give me the mask. I'll wear it compared to what we're going to talk about here in a second. But listen, not everything's persecution, but make no mistake, oh, there is persecution. And it is on the rise. And, and I think this is a timely word for us because we're going to experience more and more of it in our culture in the days ahead unless something dramatically changes. So a good word for us here. Jesus says, though, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. There's persecution that you pay a price because of your hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That you stand with righteousness and some evil comes back at you for that. That is persecution. Jesus says you're blessed when that happens to you. That because of your new life in Jesus Christ, you have this new passion for God and the things of God, there will be difficulty to you. You will be at odds with a world that loves unrighteousness. You can't go along with them. You'll be ready to pay a price. Jesus said you're going to be persecuted for righteousness sake. He said you're going, to be you're going to be persecuted because of me. Did you notice verse 11? Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Catch it. Because of me. So because you are united in Christ, you've been saved, your life's been made new. Jesus said, there are going to be people who are going to persecute you because of me. 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Or how about how honest Jesus was in John 15? Jesus uses the word hate here, and I want you to catch this with your ears. John 15, 18 and following. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Don't you appreciate, though you don't enjoy, but don't you appreciate the honesty of Jesus about persecution? Even if you are given this assignment as a peacemaker, you think, I just love people. I just want to point people to Jesus. Why would they be angry? Jesus said, they hated me first. And they will hate you as you go out in my name into this evil world. Now, this hatred is going to take various forms. And Jesus clues us into it here. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Let's talk about insults. This, this is a basic level of persecution. This was the first type of persecution I experienced as a new believer in high school. We had started a Bible study with five of us on a Monday night, and we cared about our friends. And so we started inviting our friends to come to this Monday night Bible study that we had started. And by the time we graduated and went off to college, we had over 40 students from around the town uh, coming to this Bible study. But one of the guys told me that when he asked his mom if he could come to our Bible study, she said, no. And catch this. She said, Jim Booth is a cult leader. I thought, Wow. So this is the first time I'd ever been persecuted. I'm a new Christian, just reaching friends. And I got to tell you, I was offended and flattered at the same time. It was the first time in my life anybody ever called me a leader of anything. So I kind of like that. Wow, somebody knows me as a leader. But then there's the cult part of it, <laughs> cult leader, which wasn't true. Hey, the happy end of that story is that guy did start coming, came to Christ. His sister came to Christ. They're still following Jesus to this day. But listen, that's, that's where most of our persecution has been in American culture for years. That's changing but that's what we've grown accustomed to, to be maligned, to be ridiculed by some in the culture. But the cost is growing, especially if you are a biblical Christian. You're a disciple. You're going to take God's word as God's word. And when it comes to a biblical sexual ethic, what does the Bible teach about marriage and man and women? Uh, you, you hold to that in this culture. The cost gets greater. It could cost you employment in some places. In fact, we just experienced as uh, the, the government here in Virginia with a new majority pushed through a number of laws that would penalize those who would hold to a biblical sexual ethic. So even some ministries, we were, we were kind of on alert, as you might recall, because they put through SB 868, which would penalize state fines on an organization, maybe like a Christian school, that would hold to, we want to hire and affirm people who believe like we believe about what, what the Bible teaches on sexual morality. But you could be fined if you hire according to that or dismiss somebody for not holding to your biblical lifestyle on those things. And so the persecution is ramping up. So insults, yes. Then Jesus uses this more general word, persecute. They're going to persecute you, which means to pursue with hostile intent. And around the world, we see it in its various forms. Yes, name calling. But beyond that, estrangement from family. So somebody comes to Christ in a culture, maybe the whole family turns on them for coming to Christ. Certainly a loss of a job because of faithfulness to Jesus. This is particularly tragic when you hear about those overseas in different countries where a Christian family will lose their children. Children taken from them and given to somebody else to raise. Can you imagine the heartbreak of that all because you love Jesus? Many believers beaten. Many believers in prison. We can talk to our brothers and sisters in China a lot about that. And not just China. And of course martyrdom when you're killed for your faith in Jesus. Open Doors is a ministry that advocates for the persecuted church and seeks to give practical help. Here's what they say on their website. They say around the world, more than 260 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels 
of persecution just for following Jesus. That's one in eight believers worldwide. The, the numbers are astonishing, but behind each number and statistic, there is a human story. And then they put out in their, through their ministry of Open Doors, a 2020 watch list of the worst offenders of persecution of Christians around the world. And so I'm just going to give you the top 12 of those for the sake of time. You can go to opendoors.org if you want to read more of how they rank these. But the worst offenders for Christian persecution, they would give number one, North Korea. Not surprising. Number two, Afghanistan. Number three, Somalia. Number four, Libya. Number five, Pakistan. Number six, Eritrea. Number seven, Sudan. Number eight, Yemen. Number nine, Iran. Number 10, India. Number 11, Syria. And number 12, Nigeria. And then the list continues. Here's what they say about Nigeria. I found an article from the Family Research Council called The Crisis of Christian Persecution in Nigeria. Let me just read you the opening paragraph of that. Since the dawn of the 21st century and with horrifying acceleration in recent years, verified reports of murders, rapes, mutilations, and kidnapping of Christians in Nigeria have persistently increased. These attacks are frequently accompanied by the torching of homes, churches, villages, and agricultural fields. A July 15, 2020 headline reports that 1,202 Nigerian Christians were killed in the first six months of 2020. This is in addition to 11,000 Christians who have been killed since June 2015. Such violence has reached a point at which expert observers and analysts are warning of a progressive genocide, a slow motion war, especially targeting Christians across, across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. And we grieve over that, that our brothers and sisters in this African nation are going through such horrific persecution. Hanging out on that website and also Voice of the Martyrs, their website, reading of other current stories of persecution of our brothers and sisters around the world. And especially in these days of COVID-19 and as people need relief help from their government, some governments in the world saying, not you, Christian, this isn't for you. We'll help your neighbors, a part of the majority religion, but we won't help you. In one Muslim land, the, the aid was going out through the mosques and the Christians were told, well, you need to convert to Islam if you want the food persecution. Jesus talked about it 2,000 years ago. They're going to insult you because of me. They're going to persecute you because of me, and they're going to lie about you. Notice verse 11, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And I've experienced that one as well. In fact, we all experienced it. It's, it's quite odd to be called evil by evildoers. It's a bit surreal. You love Jesus. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. And those who are blind in their sin will hurl the charge of evil at you. It's strange. And this is what we experience in the culture now, where you are called a bigot or hateful just because you cannot go along with rejecting what God has revealed to take the dogma of the culture. It's not true, that charge. It's not true of us. And yet they're falsely saying this evil against us. And it's a part of persecution that we endure. So here's the point. None of us want persecution. None of us will enjoy it, but Jesus brings up persecution as one of the qualities of a life he calls blessed. And so the point here is you and I should expect persecution. We can't be shocked at persecution. Though we don't like it, we can't be shocked at it because Jesus himself was persecuted. Remember, our Savior was crucified and raised from the dead. And all of his disciples were persecuted as well. And many of these were even martyred. 
So we cannot be shocked. Even as we act as peacemakers with great motives on the earth, Jesus says, prepare for persecution. This world loves sin. This world hates truth. And you're at odds with them because you hunger and thirst for righteousness. There will be a cost to pay for that. 2 Timothy 3.12, one of the first verses I memorized as a new Christian, came in handy fast. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, you should memorize that as well. 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we cannot make avoidance of persecution our goal. If we make avoidance of persecution our goal, then we will quickly become unfaithful to Christ. Have you noticed every day is a choice, the world or Christ? And every day we need to make the same choice. I choose Christ regardless of the cost that would come to me. There will be a cost. Oh, but there's blessing, Jesus said in this. 1 Peter 4, 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you suffer, you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So expect persecution, Jesus would tell us. Secondly, rejoice and be glad. And that's what he says, literally, verse 12. Did you notice? Rejoice and be glad. Did you notice there is a command from our Savior that in persecution, we should rejoice and be glad even in that. You say, is that, even, is that even possible? I've met believers who've gone through severe persecution, who've modeled this. It's been a number of years ago now, traveling in South Asia to another country. And one of our colleagues was showing me around and introducing me to some of the workers there. And I met a guy that I'll call Sam. Sam, a very gifted, courageous evangelist in his Muslim nation. And uh, he was telling some stories of, of what things were like there. And of course, he's courageous, sharing the gospel, always a cost. And he told me about a time where he prayed, Lord, I want more access to influential people in this country. Well, it wasn't long after that he was arrested along with one of his associates for sharing the gospel in a Muslim village and they, they threw him into jail there. And while in jail, within a day or so, a whole bunch of the opposition party, they had been rounded up in the political process and thrown in jail with him. And these, these high level opposition political opponents who had been put in jail, they look over at Sam and they say, you don't look like a criminal, why are you here? He said, I'm not a criminal, I'm here because I tell the truth. They said, what truth do you tell? And he preached the gospel to them. Here's the truth. And he spoke about the love of God and the reconciliation through Jesus dying on the cross and the resurrection and had a great ministry there with them. Even, even he told me after they got out, he was invited to go to a number of these men's homes and continue sharing the gospel. He was rejoicing even in a persecution he never would have wanted. His young associate, when he was let out of jail, my colleague told me when, when he picked them up from the jail, as the young guy came out, he's pumping his fist going, I am Paul, I am Paul. He's like, I got to go to jail for the gospel like Paul did. You can rejoice and be glad even in a persecution that, of course, you don't want. Listen, you and I need to change our minds about what persecution might mean. Of course, it's not an evil that we invite into our lives, but neither is it an evil that we avoid through through denying Christ. So when persecution comes, and Christian, it's coming, don't wilt. Be strong and courageous. Remain faithful. And Jesus say, hey, rejoice. 
This is what the disciples did at the beginning. Jesus warned about it here, and it started happening in the book of Acts. Remember Acts 5, verse 40? It says this, And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. And so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Oh, rejoice and be glad, even when you're persecuted for the name of Christ. And there's a promise here. Did you notice it? Jesus said, great is your reward. Salvation, of course, a free gift when you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. But when you suffer for Jesus, he says, I'm going to reward you on top of that free gift. However he chooses to do it, he said, it, it's going to be a great reward. There's a sense in which when you're being persecuted, when you're being insulted and lied about, they're just storing up your reward in heaven as you faithfully endure that in Christ. So listen, persecution does not mean you've done something wrong. When you're persecuted for righteousness, when you're persecuted because of the name of Jesus, you've done something right. When sinful men are displeased with you, remember, God is pleased with you, and he says he will reward you greatly. So consider with me here, who's, who's more blessed? The person who says, I, I must be comfortable in this life. I can't have anybody not like me, so I will not follow Jesus. And that person then perishes in their sin forever. Is that person blessed? Jesus says, no. Blessed is the person who has mourned over their sin. They've come for forgiveness. They've been made a child of God. They now have a new pursuit, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, a peacemaker on the earth, and that one will suffer for it but then be rewarded eternally forever and ever. Who's blessed? Jesus is right. Blessed are those who are, who've been persecuted. So let's apply this to ourselves. I wanna ask you some direct questions. Please do application of your own heart. Will you follow Jesus if all your friends reject him? Maybe here, here's the better question. Will you follow Jesus if all your friends reject you for following Jesus? Some friend, right? Will you follow Jesus if it costs you your career? Will you follow Jesus if it costs you food? Will you follow Jesus if it costs you your freedom? Will you follow Jesus if it costs you your life? Here's what Jesus said, Mark 8, 34 and following. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And so, Christian, be strong in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Remember, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Remember that. Read, reread Romans 8. Don't let anybody steal your joy because it's true. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray.